Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation today is today's gospel, Mark chapter 7. We'll hear again these words. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Dustin Johnson is a pretty good golfer. Eric Johnson is a fair, Eric Clapton, I should say, is a fair guitar player. Bobby Flay is a decent cook. Tom Hanks isn't a bad actor. Those are all examples of understatement, right? Dustin Johnson is more than just a pretty good golfer. He is ranked number one in the world. Eric Clapton is better than just a fair guitar player. He's world-renowned for his virtuosity. Bobby Flay is more than a pretty good cook. He is a world-renowned chef. He's a celebrity chef. He's got his own shows on the Food Network, his own restaurants, his own product lines and recipe books, the whole nine yards. And of course, Tom Hanks is more than just a pretty good actor. He is a two-time Oscar winner whose movies bring in hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office. Understatement can be used as a clever way of bringing out someone or something's greatness. And I'll give you another example. Let's use Thomas Edison as our example. We might say something like this. Thomas Edison patented more than 1,000 inventions. He invented the first practical incandescent light bulb. He invented the phonograph. He produced the first talking moving pictures. Not bad. And of course, when we say not bad, we don't mean just not bad. We mean this guy's amazing. Look at what he did. Look at his accomplishments. He's one of the best ever. The understatement, not bad, draws attention to that fact. I believe that our text before us today contains an example of biblical understatement. After watching Jesus miraculously heal that man who was deaf and could barely talk, the people were amazed and they said, He has done everything well. He's done everything well. It's an understatement. Obviously, Jesus does better than well. Jesus does everything perfectly. I want to borrow their understatement for our sermon theme this morning. Jesus does everything well. You see, he is perfect in showing compassion. And he is flawless in working out our salvation. Jesus was in a region known as the Decapolis, an area of ten cities that was first established by the followers of Alexander the Great and was later on rebuilt and built back up by the Romans. It was a decidedly Gentile area, which shows us that Jesus, who was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel, also had other sheep about whom he was concerned, sheep that he also wanted to bring into his kingdom and save. Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker and as a healer preceded him to this region. And so, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, these people knew what Jesus could do. They knew all he had to do was touch the man or perhaps even just speak a word and he would be healed. But Jesus did something a little bit differently here. Rather than laying his hand on the man or just simply speaking a word, he took the man aside. 
Now, Jesus didn't need to do this. It wasn't for his benefit. It was for this man's benefit. And I want you to just put yourself into that man's sandals for just a moment. You can't hear anything at all, and you can hardly speak. And suddenly, a group of your friends are pushing you in front of this guy that you hardly know, and they seem to be talking to him excitedly. And there's a large crowd of people all around you. Everything is kind of chaotic, and you just don't really know exactly what's going on. It's kind of overwhelming for you. Jesus understood this. He knew exactly what this man needed. So in compassion, he took him aside and he dealt with him privately and personally. He did some things that, when we first hear them, they just sound a little bit strange to us. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Again, this wasn't for Jesus' benefit. It's not like Jesus had to touch the man's ears and his tongue in order to heal him. This, again, was for the man's benefit. In a nonverbal way, Jesus communicated to him. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, Okay, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. I'm here to help you. I'm going to repair your damaged ears so that you can hear. And I'm going to loosen your tongue so that you can speak. And then Jesus himself spoke. We are privileged this morning to hear the exact syllables that our Savior spoke on that day. He said in Aramaic, Ephatha which means be completely open. Well, Jesus spoke and it happened. Immediately this man had no trouble hearing or speaking. I think it's worth mentioning that he didn't have to go to a speech therapist after this to get some training or something like that. His healing was instant and it was complete. At just the right time, in just the right way, with perfect compassion, Jesus gave that deaf and mute man exactly what he needed. Let me ask you, my friends, will Jesus treat us any differently? Will he deal with you and me in a less compassionate way than he dealt with that man? Well, the answer, obviously, is no. And yet, at the same time, we can begin to think that maybe Jesus isn't keeping all of his promises to us. You know, he promises to be with us always and to work everything out for our good, to give us exactly what we need. But sometimes we can begin to think he's maybe not paying attention to those promises. Maybe even Jesus has forgotten about us. We all struggle, don't we? We struggle just like that deaf and mute man did. All of us have battles that we are waging, hidden hurts in our bodies, in our minds, and in our hearts. Maybe, maybe your health is headed south. Maybe you're having trouble paying the bills and making ends meet. Maybe you've got a relationship in your life that's falling apart. Maybe, maybe you struggle every day with anxiety or loneliness or depression or whatever it may be. Every one of us is hurting. Every one of us has struggles. Where do we take those struggles and those hurts? How do we deal with the burdens that are in our lives? I mean, do we just try to go it alone? Just put on our big boy pants, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, or what other silly and, and selfish cliche that you can think of? Do we turn to the bottle? Just one more drink and I should be numb enough that I won't feel anything anymore. 
Do we turn to pleasure? Do we distract ourselves with entertainment? Do we throw ourselves into our work and bury ourselves there? Do we spend more time praying, Lord, take the pain away, or Lord, give me the strength to deal with this pain and with this difficulty? Or are we sometimes guilty of forgetting to pray to him at all? You know, sometimes we get so tied up in turmoil, so focused on ourselves and our hurts, then we forget about our passionate Savior, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, the one who can heal with a word, the one who looks on us with the compassion, the one who promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. My friends, our, our lack of trust and our turning to other things instead of our Savior for comfort, these are just symptoms, symptoms of the fear and the sin and the unbelief that are ours by nature. We sinners deserve to be helpless and hopeless for all of eternity. And yet, we are not going to get what we deserve. Jesus himself made very sure of that. You see, the Savior who is perfect in showing compassion to us is also flawless in working out our salvation. In fact, Jesus was not about to let anything get in the way of his mission of saving a world full of sinners. Just listen again to our text. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Now we hear that, and at first, again, it sounds kind of strange to us, doesn't it? Is this the same Jesus who said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation? Is this the same Savior who gave his church her marching orders and said, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching? How can he say something so different here? Keep it to yourselves. Keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. His words seem contradictory. There's no contradiction here. What we're really dealing with is a matter of timing. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, he gave his disciples of all time, including you and me, the command to go into the world and to preach the good news to all people. But our text takes place much earlier in his ministry, before his suffering and death, uh, before his resurrection and ascension. It's not that Jesus didn't want people to hear the good news about his salvation. In fact, he himself was going from town to town and village to village teaching it to everyone. No, Jesus just didn't want a worldly kind of popularity to get in the way of his road to the cross. You see, a lot of people in Jesus' day had very mistaken ideas about who he was and why he came and what he was up to. They had, they had wrong ideas about the Messiah. So many people looked at him with just worldly eyes. They looked at him as the one who was to keep their bellies full, keep their bodies disease-free. They kind of looked at him as their golden ticket to Easy Street. That kind of thinking could have gotten in the way of Jesus' resolute march to the cross. And he wouldn't stand for that. And so he told them, hey, let's just keep this between ourselves. But of course they couldn't. They just kept talking about it. And yet, our Savior did not let their loose lips sink the ship of salvation. His mission, his purpose for coming into the world, his top priority, his number one job was to save sinners. And that he did well. In fact, he did it perfectly. With flawless obedience, our Lord Jesus obeyed the entire law of God. He was perfect in our place. The writer to the Hebrews describes him with these words, holy, blameless, 
pure, set apart from sinners. He lived such a life set apart from sinners for us, a life that counts for each and every one of us. And then, willingly, according to God's plan made already in eternity, he allowed his enemies to hand him over for crucifixion, and he stretched out his arms, and he received those nails, and he bled and died on that cross to pay for our guilt, to pay for the world's sins. His precious blood, his holy life is that payment. Peter reminds us, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ. And then on the third day, God's holy Son, just as he promised in perfect accord with everything said in the Holy Scriptures, rose and won the victory over all our enemies. He did it all. He lived sinlessly. He died in our place. He rose again to conquer death. He did all of that to give us the precious gifts of forgiveness and new life and salvation. And my friends, did it all work? Did he accomplish what he set out to do? Was the Father happy with what Jesus did as our substitute? Well, I'll let you find the answer. Listen to what the Father said publicly on at least two occasions. He said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Even the Father himself says, Jesus has done everything well. His incredible love and compassion, Jesus' flawless work on our behalf, his perfect execution of the mission on which he was sent, my friends, is what moves us to do all things well for him in thanks for his love and mercy. His perfect love is what moves Christian parents to bring up their children to know and to love and to serve Jesus. And that same love of Jesus moves those Christian children to obey their parents and honor them as if they were obeying and honoring the Lord himself. His perfect love is what moves Christian wives to submit to their husbands' godly leadership and Christian husbands to lay down their lives and put their wives first to love them as Christ loved the church. It is the perfect love and compassion of our Savior that moves Christian employers to run their businesses fairly, honestly, honestly and with integrity, and Christian employees to work hard for their pay. It is his perfect love for us and the perfect execution of his mission to save us that moves us, the targets of his compassion, his forgiven, thankful people, to do all things well for him as we live lives of love both for God and for our neighbor. Jesus did all things well. What an understatement. In perfect compassion, he gives us everything that we need exactly at the right time in exactly the right way. With flawless love, he lived for us, he died for us, he rose again to give us the gifts of forgiveness and life and salvation. And my friends, let us never forget why he did all of this. It is not because we earned or deserved it, but purely out of his divine grace and mercy. Yes, my friends, Jesus has done everything well for us. I guess we could put it this way. Jesus is a pretty good Savior. Thanks be to God. Amen.